us. These guys are taking this personal. You were only supposed to create a diversion, Roman. That was complete destruction. What you want from me? I'm Roman Pierce, man. It's what I do. Phase two. Phase two? What's phase two? Bounds away. Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. I'm Matt. And this is episode 13 for the April the 13th, 2017. And in this week's episode, we have news and notes from the world of Star Wars, uh, Marvel, and others. We are going to review the movie, The Fate of the Furious. We travel back in time to 1992 when gas was $1.05, Bill Clinton was the president, and Jack Nicholson wanted to know if we could handle the truth. Welcome to this week's episode of The Film Coterie. Wow, you really did work on your intro. That was like, we might as well stop. We just went over everything we're going to do. You <laughs> laid the groundwork. Hey, did. trying to keep this show professional, man. Let's keep it rolling good. Let's keep improving, right? So, guys, what's happening, man? What's going on? Let's get right into our news and notes for the week. Adam, what's our news for this week? Well, down in Orlando, Star Wars Celebration's going on. And if you don't know what that is, that's the, the big Star Wars convention. It's actually run by Lucasfilm. Everybody's there, even Hayden Christensen this year. Whoa. So today was day one. Tomorrow, we are probably getting a... So all the good news will happen after we podcast. Is that what you're saying? We'll probably get a Last Jedi trailer tomorrow. There's a panel for it. I'm guessing that's when the trailer is going to premiere. And you can watch online. They're streaming all their panels. So, What is the even Hayden Christensen is there? Uh, he's not done conventions for Star Wars. Well, what else is he doing? Uh, finding himself. Oh, all right. So he's stepped out. Maybe some forgiveness is in the folds from the fans. Because here's the thing. George Lucas stepped on the stage today. And? Standing ovation. The room loved him. Um, this is kind of like your team that was in a slump for a long time. And if they had a good season, a couple seasons, you might be willing to forgive some people that you normally cursed. Or were they cheering the fact that he sold? No, no, there's all love for him. It was very warm. It wasn't sarcastic or anything. It nice. Genuine affection, which hasn't happened between Lucas and the fans for years. I would not clap for him. I would. I mean, he created Star Heck Wars. Yeah, I'm going to clap for George Lucas. I didn't like the prequels, but. <sighs> I've never felt animosity towards him. No, I really didn't like the latest Indiana Jones. That was a bigger crime to us than any of the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, yeah. there. I would agree there. So he had a good reception. That's, he did. that's and nice. Hayden Christensen and just everybody. They brought everyone on the stage and they made everyone cry because at the end, the one person missing was Carrie Fisher. They put up a really nice tribute video, raised the curtain. And there was John Williams and an entire orchestra, and they played Leia's theme. Oh, that would have tore me up. Yeah, oh, every, oh. everyone was in tears from the reports. Man. I I would have cried. Heck yeah, dag on it, man. Just starting to well up thinking about it, man. <laughs> yeah, we can move on to a. <laughs> Let's move on to something else. <laughs> okay, I'm skipping ahead. So we're going to the happiest note that I have is the Thor Ragnarok trailer hit this week. It looks a lot like Guardians. 
and that's a good thing. Are they trying to make it look too much like Guardians? This was always the promise because this is the first really cosmic Thor movie we're getting. Dark World is a little cosmic. This is cosmic Marvel, and the the pattern we've set for cosmic Marvel is the Guardians. That's their platform. That's their universe he's tooling around in now. So we have to make it a semi-comedy. Well, look at the director they hired. I mean, this isn't a surprise. I I know, but it's... I don't know. I I don't know. I I like them being distinct things, and it just... I mean, even down to the like the 80s pull in of the title shots and stuff like you know it not not to say i don't like it don't get me wrong i just wish there was more separation between them that's me well look at thor i mean when they pulled him into the avengers movies he he just molds to whatever they're doing and those are more serious movies he was molded into that he's going out into the cosmic universe he's going to fit into that kind of platform yeah sure so I think there's some. Well, I had an initial reaction. You sent me the trailer, and we dialogued that day a little bit, and I had the same reaction Matt kind of did. I was like, it didn't feel like a Thor movie to me, you know, because the first two were pretty kind of. The first one was kind of the origin deal, and then you get the, Earth based, the Earth based, and then you get more an epic feel with the second one, setting some still a lot on Earth, still a lot on Earth. Yes, I, I granted there too, and. Um, and now it just feels like, oh, we're going to do Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy shell to it, you know, kind of a little bit. But don't get me wrong, still very good. I mean, there's some great lines, and, you know, uh, when, when we get the uh, the Hulk reveal in the arena, you know, and he's like, oh, that's my dude from work, you know? I know him. I know him. Yes. <laughs> you know? He has the big reaction upon seeing the Hulk in her. Yeah, so... You know, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the movie, absolutely. But have you seen the shorts that have come out with Thor and his roommate? No. Okay, they're very funny because it just shows Thor on Earth living, with, trying to live a normal life with a roommate and pay the rent and treasures. <laughs> oh no, alien artifacts and such, and they're very funny. So if you haven't checked that out, anyone who's even listening, go find the shorts with Thor and his roommate. There's two of them. Cool. Excellent. What else, Adam? We finally have our cable casting for Deadpool 2, and it is not Michael Shannon. I'm disappointed to report that, but it's Josh Brolin. So, it's okay casting. Anything was going to be a disappointment that wasn't Michael Shannon. But Brolin can pull off the straight guy. I mean, Brolin can keep a straight face and stare you down, and that's the foil to Deadpool. Yep, absolutely. Even when he's eating like an ounce of weed. Or a banana. That frozen banana scene. Yeah, the frozen banana. Have you seen Inherent Vice, Roger? Uh, I don't know if I have or not. All right. Yeah. I don't believe I have. Ryan Reynolds did put something funny on Twitter because people were like, what? How can Brolin be Thanos and Cable? And Ryan Reynolds put up a thing like, yeah, I don't know how people can be two superheroes. And it showed him and Green Lantern and Deadpool. Um, Chris Evans is Captain America and the Human Torch. And then Brolin is Jonah Hex, Thanos. And cable. <laughs> yeah, magic. I don't know how that could possibly know, happen. The magic of cinema, right? Yes. To suspend all your disbelief. Finally, this was not met with much enthusiasm from the internet, but I'm okay with it. Fede Alvarez is making a new movie set in the Labyrinth universe, the David Bowie, Jim Henson Productions yeah. Labyrinth. I like that universe. I, I, I like too. mazes. I like puppets. I'm okay with this. Uh, it'll be the first non-horror movie he's made. 
because so far he's done the new evil dead and he's done don't breathe which are both good but this is a take on some darker is he gonna just make i mean you said it's the first thing he's done other than horror do we know it's going to be something other than horror henson productions is involved i mean this is going to be pg-13 at the worst there's some dark there's some darkness to labyrinth whoa roger roger what are you doing to my mic i had to fix you okay there's some darkness to labyrinth but um it's not going to be above pg-13 all right all right so, some news this week. Any, any outside of, I guess, no other trailers than the one we got with Thor then. That was kind of the big one for this week. New Transformers trailer, which we saw tonight. That's a, yeah. It's even crazier than before. I mean, I can't figure it's out how, they, how they're cramming all this into a two-hour movie. And my comment to Adam was, was why would anyone want to cram this much yeah. stuff into a two-hour and, movie? And we did get to see the King Arthur trailer again today. So I, I started to raise my thumb up from the front seat. Roger front. was in front of us, a different row. <laughs> there were a lot of people at Fast and the Furious tonight. It was just yeah. a bad experience all around for me. Bad uh. trailers. <laughs> I can I so hope we get to go see King Arthur on Thursday night. Uh, I won't go. <laughs> <laughs> Depends what else is coming out. I know, I know. I won't go. As they've joked, no one else has ever gotten the Excalibur legend right. Why is, why even bother? Guy Ritchie didn't even take a swing at it. He's just doing his own thing. That's right. Well, that's all I got from my desk. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with our Thursday night review of The Fate of the Furious. Welcome back to the Film Coterie Podcast, and um, it's time for that part of the podcast where we talk the mo- about the movie that we just got done seeing. And this week, uh, we had the pleasure of seeing The Fate of the Furious. Um, I definitely don't want to start it off because I will probably utterly derail us all. I that normally going to bring the room down. I normally start with Roger. Um so this week, I think I'll go with Adam. Adam. Fate of the Furious. What did you think of the fate of the Furious? This is part eight of the Fast and the Furious franchise, a staple. Furious, in the, the Ocho. And, and when we say fate, we mean F8, right? Uh, I don't Probably. Know. <laughs> they said this movie's also known as Fast and Furious 8, Fast 8, F8, something, function key 8. So it's one of those movies. I uh, wish Mark I could King. have control alt F. <laughs> Go ahead, Adam. So, <laughs> uh, it's big, it's expensive, it's loud, and it is not very good. At least that's my initial take on it. Um, I got to be honest, I'm not a fan of the series. I saw the first two way back when in theaters. I was actually still in college. And for whatever reason, I the series never connected with me. I mean, it has no resonance. It just bounces off me. I, I can't take it in. Um, I've seen parts of the other ones on TV, on HBO through the years, but I've never sat and watched one until tonight. Roger, what's your history with the series? 
Um, very. I never saw one in the theater till tonight. So you know, you can take my review for with a grain of salt if you're diehard, you know, Fast and Furious fan. Um, and I, 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 out of curiosity, I watched the first couple on HBO or Showtime, whatever paid channel they were on. I just thought, well, I'll check one out, <clears throat> and. Didn't think, actually thought the first one or two, eh, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of that Miami Vice 80s kind of sun and cars and girls and, and, and a detective and, you know, kind of had okay feel to it, you know, but I just never really, never really grabbed me either. I, 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 I don't mean this to sound judgmental or whatever, but it just seemed like it was not, I'm not the target audience. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm too old for these films or something, maybe. I don't know. Or I just, I'm just not the target, their target audience, you know. Um, yeah, so that's my, that's kind of my history. I think I've actually seen at least the first four. Okay. Maybe the first five, maybe, over the course of, you know, because it's on or whatever, and you just, okay, you know, I'll watch this or whatever. Uh, but I did not see seven, and that was very obvious from my viewing of this film today. Yeah, that I did not see seven because there were several times I was like, "Oh, okay, that's obviously a callback to yeah. the seventh movie, or maybe earlier, or earlier, or oh, that's obviously a callback to a previous movie that I had no remembrance of, you know, whatsoever." Um, I, I, I will say this. I'll say this. If you like the Fast and Furious series and you're big fans of their comedy, their humor, their the stylized car driving, you're going to you're going to probably enjoy this movie. You're going to get the same that you've gotten for the first 6 7 movies. The same it's the same packaging over again, you know, from what I can tell. It was not to my taste to be honest with you. I mean, I read I read people's reactions online because I felt disadvantaged going into this because I didn't think I could give it a fair shake. A lot of fans feel this one falls in the middle. It's not great. It's not bad. As far as I know, the bottom of the barrel for most people is Fast and the Furious 2. I mean, um, that's what I've heard. Okay. Well, because that doesn't have any of the cast, right? Well, no, that's Paul to- Walker. Yeah. Tokyo Drift is part three. And Vin Diesel's oh, in that one at the gotcha. end. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, part two is considered bottom of the barrel as far as I know. And there have been a couple highlights. People like some of the recent ones is the best. So this one is just middle of the road to them. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, for me, it was just kind of, it's just not my cup of tea. I did enjoy watching the crowd's reaction. The crowd was into it. The crowd was definitely into it. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I found myself chuckling at inappropriate times. Right, the clunky dialogue. Yeah, the yeah. clunky dialogue was. I found myself chuckling. The one-liner that was forced. Well, one. There's many one-liners that were forced. Yeah, um, and it's so funny. You can see the the um, the bit coming from a mile away to play to the crowd, and yet they just buy in wholeheartedly and laugh and cheer. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, the subtlety in this movie. There's no subtext or anything, even remotely attempted to be below surface level when they want to get something over your head they it's like they wrote in the script with a red sharpie and then wrote it on the wall 20 times with a red sharpie they say family 50 times in this movie 50 times the themes they beat you over the head with the theme they don't trust that you can pick up on it every character has to talk about it oh yeah there's things that are called out a mile ahead of time for what's going to happen yeah so matt 
What are your observations of this film? Well, um, to give you my background on the Fast and Furious, I saw Fast and Furious in theaters, the original, and loved it. Loved it. Thought it was a great movie. Um, I get, obviously, I didn't see the second one, but I saw Tokyo Drift, and that was the last one I ever saw until tonight. Um, I'm still trying to figure out, one, how we get from street racing thieves to heroes that save the world. I don't know how that happened. The I'm evolution sure happened. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. The evolution, as far as I know. I mean, they started with street racing undercover cop movies. There's right. two of them. Which I, I agree with Matt. I kind of like the first one. I like that premise, and I, I bought into the first movie. The third one was just racing culture movie in Japan, and then after that, they came back and started doing heist movies. They were still criminals, and they were robbing. And outfits. so, and so, if you're if you're good enough to be great heist con man, you can now work and save the world. They get picked up by government ops, secret government ops, Kurt Russell and yes. some other people, The Rock. Yes. Chase them for a while, and then they all end up on the same team somehow. I don't know. When, somewhere down the road. When did Toretta become a superhero? And I don't mean superheroes in like yeah. saving the world. I mean superhero in terms of like strengths. When did The Rock have the ability to elbow a you know two inch metal wall and it dent? Always. To always. Yeah. Well, you I, saw. I, just, he, I don't. He understand. literally when he broke out of the prison. When he broke out of prison. He was the Hulk. Yes. <laughs> he became the Hulk. Bullets bounced off of him. Okay, they Literally. were rubber. Rubber bullets. Yeah. And they did nothing. They did nothing. They didn't even slow him down. He just stopped and looked at him. He actually told him that was a mistake because it would just make him angry, essentially. <laughs> um, wow. There are a few movies that I've ever wanted to actually just... I was praying I had to use the restroom. You could because I would have just, I think I just would have stayed in the bathroom. <laughs> because that, going to the restroom and reading whatever are on the walls in a restroom would have been a thousand times more entertaining to me than watching that movie. I now feel dumber for watching that movie. I think the movie was, I mean, Adam is right. There couldn't have been more road signs as to here's exactly what's coming and to me, that's someone who is writing for who they believe to be a dumb audience. And that's sad that that's what <clears throat> they believe their audience is. But after watching the reaction of the audience, I may tend to agree with the writer on this. And you may have to have signposts up. Every time someone laughed at an idiotic one-liner. I mean, there was a period in the movie that the movie went three minutes and nothing else was spoken other than one-liners. From different people... In different situations, in different cuts. I, I I detest this movie. I could feel the heat radiating off Matt throughout the movie. Well, I kind of felt something warm on the back yeah. of my neck, but, you know, I was sitting in front of him. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I just don't get it. Right. I mean, you're talking about a, a franchise that is known for chase scenes, right? I mean, these crazy things started with Fast and Furious, had crazy races and chases and things like that. And and I, so 
So, um, they stole a sub. I don't think that's oh, that's in the preview. Don't, 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 <laughs> so don't the, even get me started so on the sub. The sub. <laughs> so the sub was dry docked, but yet somehow they get it off the dry dock by remote control of the sub. But that doesn't explain now, how it now, got out of the dry dock. Uh, yeah, it, and this was like in Russia, right? This is like or the, in Siberia. Siberia. Okay, so so if I was the Russians, separatists. I would be okay. They were separatists, okay, and they happen to have a nuclear sub that was fully that had <laughs> stolen stolen sub with missiles, and you you got a whole base there. Not one dude thinks to go get on the sub when the propellers start turning. <laughs> Not one local. Let's went. talk about how prepared these guys were because the Rock came in and fought ten of them, and none of them even had a sidearm. It was a straight up fist fight with yeah. ten soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and how about the fact that you have cars? All right, that are that are driving on ice, Lamborghini, and being essentially outrun by a submarine that maybe will do twenty knots. Yeah, but in the beginning of the movie, a car drives onto an airplane. The second before it hits the ramp on the airplane, it scrolls down to show you the speedometer, and it's doing 209 miles an hour. And then it Im- immediately stops in like two car lengths. Well, yeah. There was no jet wash as the plane came down either. No, there was not. Um, there's a scene, and this is in a trailer, where a car gets kind of Harpoon. harpooned. And somehow, one car is able to maneuver around... To get free of five cars based on the horsepower the car has, taking all laws of physics and friction out of the equation because they do not have, the car in the middle does not have any capability to withstand that kind of force while making, like, its wheels are in contact. There's only so much surface area. How in the world can it overcome that much friction? It just doesn't. Remember how much horsepower they said it had? Oh, which time? <laughs> oh, he has a thousand. Try two thousand. Try three. Try five. Five thousand horsepower under that hood. Five thousand <laughs> horsepower. That means he has like an engine they use in a cruise ship. <laughs> well, nice. In this, in this world, it's all possible. It's all possible. Even the cars that do two hundred miles an hour for real in NASCAR. Have about seven hundred horsepower is what they need to do two hundred miles an oh, hour. Oh yeah, yeah, and even ridiculously stupid horsepower cars like Veyrons and stuff like that have like a grand or a Konisberg have like a grand five thousand. I just want to know what the guy was thinking when you could pick any car on the fleet, and that whole fleet of here's your matchbox car, pick the one you want to go play in, right? And he picks a Lamborghini that sits about two inches off the ground. <laughs> oh, and then he decides to take it to Siberia and drive it on the ice. Yeah, exactly. And then it shows him like sliding and gunning it. Got news for you. Ice friction doesn't work. Not happening. You guys didn't even touch on this movie. It has two of the prettiest and hottest hackers of all time between Charlize Theron and Natalie <laughs> Emmanuel. Oh, yes. Normally, hackers take a special recipe of basement dwelling, hate the world, anti-social. Well, probably my Navy friends are probably, uh, their heads probably exploded when they saw how easy it was to hack a sub remotely control it. 
Oh, like an old school Russian sub. Yeah, those doors work automatically, don't they? No, no, they don't. And hacking in this world is still just typing a bunch of commands really fast, and who can type faster? <laughs> it just is. like every movie trope. Oh, yeah, but then you have to have cuts between the two hacker girls saying, oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you know what else? I didn't realize that a car could outrun a missile when that car is on ice. Just well, saying. Uh, and the car Matt, changed direction. Now, Matt, you have to you push the clutch and you shift the gear. This movie Beca- is stupid. Because, because when they're doing 200 miles an hour, they still got one or two gears left to go to. Maybe it was some of that Cuban Nas. <laughs> Cuban Nas. And, oh, okay, how about in the beginning, the Cuban race scene. I'm sorry for spoilers. Deal with it. It's a dumb movie. So... He decides to go backwards at like, what, 160 miles an hour? Got news for you. The reason your car can go fast is because it has different gearing. You know, why you have first gear, second gear, third gear. That way the power is transferred from your engine to your wheels at a different ratio so you can go faster. Guess what doesn't have fifth gear? Reverse. Sorry, I'm getting fired up. I hate... I. It's... it's now that I'm talking about it, I said this coming out of the movie. I said, I think this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I am fully and utterly standing behind that statement. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. I cannot believe I paid a movie theater money to go get punished for an hour and, what's the runtime? An hour and 32 minutes? Oh, it felt longer than that. I thought it was like two hours and something. I thought it went over two hours. Well, hour and 32 minutes would be. Wow. Hour and 36 minutes. I mean, well, 136 <clears throat> minutes, not hour and 36. Sorry. An hour, 136 minutes. It was over two hours. Yes. 216. Right. Okay. I wasn't crazy because I'm like, this is no, it's way forever too long. long. If I said an hour, no. I meant 136 minutes. All right. That makes sense. Okay. I was like, this has to be yeah. over two hours. It I, was, I was bored during it. You mean you weren't moved at the very I end of the I actually movie tried either? to go to sleep. Family. Mm-hmm. It's about family. Moved at the end of what? The big barbecue at the end. <laughs> These must all end in barbecues. I couldn't I'm tell you. I'm telling you. Yeah. No, I, I wasn't moved. I was overjoyed. I was so happy. Because you knew the movie was Because I knew the next thing I would see was credits, and I could stand up and get out of there. We didn't even wait to see if there was a stinger. <clears throat> Imagine that. You should see the look Matt just shot me if you imagined spending another 10 minutes in the theater waiting for credits. The problem is, is this has a lot of people in it I like. And they are all absolutely wasted. I mean, I don't even know who to say had the best performance in this movie. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, was there any acting performances that you thought were? It doesn't matter how bad the movie is. I can get some entertainment from The Rock. I can get some entertainment from Jason Statham. I won't spoil it, but I don't want Matt to hit me. I'm not going to hit you. I kind of enjoyed the Jason Statham final action scene on the plane without spoiling anything. Further. Sure. It actually made me laugh. And I, maybe I feel bad for laughing at some of the stuff, but. If he didn't have his prop. Yes. No, I wouldn't have liked it. The prop made the difference. See, if he wouldn't have had his prop, I would have liked it more. <laughs> but who does that with that kind of prop? <laughs> You're talking about a ridiculous. Leave universe. that prop in a room. <laughs> do what you need to do. Come back and yeah. get it. Because he started going to John Wick mode, you know what I'm saying? You know, and I thought, yeah. I thought, oh, this dude here can, this guy could pull off an action. You know, he can pull off. Statham, Statham can yeah. fight. Well, Statham yeah. can fight. I, let's let's be honest. There's a lot of people in this movie that can do action, right? 
But even like, so there's a, a prison escape scene that's in the trailer. Yep. It's awful. Yeah. It's like shaky cam. Yeah. This is a director that hasn't really done action. It's F. Gary Gray. His last movie was Straight Outta Compton, which is a good movie, but there's no fist fights or action scenes in Straight Outta Compton. Straight Outta Compton is great. Yes, good movie. These other to check. Yes. The other movies recently were directed by really talented directors. Justin Lin, um, a lot of good Hong Kong action guys came over to do this stuff, and they were, they were better from what the fans say. So there was a lot of shaky cam. And I didn't think the action was shot that well. Dialogue was awful. Dialogue was terrible. I don't. I would like to, I would like for someone else. I don't want to subject myself to watching this again. Have a counter. Find out how many one line, one liners are said in this, and not only one liners is like trying to get a laugh, but just a cut scene to someone saying a single line, and then back to someone else saying a single line, and then back to someone else saying a single line. And all of those lines being right. utterly meaningless well, well, Matt, if to you anything. Took, if you took all of the dialogue in the movie, even when they're interacting, if it's more than one line, that you're talking 99% of this movie is one line back and forth. I would have rather have seen this movie as a silent movie. <laughs> I, I think I would have enjoyed it. I think I would have hated it less. But that's. And I don't I know. Can't. I don't know this universe. I haven't seen the last couple. This yeah. one felt a little bit almost like fan fiction. It it felt like two middle school kids yeah. got together, dreamed about cars and, and Russians and, and subs and nukes and hacking, and wrote a hot movie. Hacker babes. Yeah, hot hacker. <clears throat> yeah, two middle school kids sat down and wrote this movie. That's what it felt like. And it. it yep, it, I agree. It felt like fan fiction. Yeah, really bad. It's at sixty four percent on Rotten Tomato. That's only, I, well, that's, well, only, that's only seven percent off of Beauty and the Beast. I, I'm telling you right out. now. I'm telling you right now. There is a whole group. There's a whole following for this these oh, movies. Oh, that movie. This movie will make over hundred million dollars. I'm telling you. Oh, oh easy. easy. They all do. You know, yeah. there's like a huge group of people. They like the bits. They like the pacing. They like the one liners. It's just not our cup of tea. I'm, I'm convinced of that. The first time laughter broke out in the theater, I remember looking around and trying to get Adam to look at me because I was like, I don't get it because whatever was said on that screen was not funny. <laughs> it just wasn't funny. And I looked around. I was just like, who are these people that I'm in this theater with? This is the busiest I've seen the theater since Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. We it saw was. the non-IMAX digital version. And the theater was packed. The lobby was busy. Parking lot was full. Yep. I bet you the IMAX was even fuller. Yeah, there were a lot of people in the lobby. Must have been going to the IMAX. It's going to have a good weekend. It's tracking big. Oh, people are going to go see it. I just they, feel bad. They say it. they're making at least two more. They say they're going to stop at 10. They won't. They won't. They'll push it like a Bond series. They'll do it. As long as they're making $100 million a pop, they're going to keep making these movies. But the problem with all the times they escalate the material, I mean, this one was ridiculous. They all have been, but what's after this? I mean, we're going to drive cars in space. Yeah. That's the only thing you have left. I mean, you've yeah. already stopped the uh, nuclear weapons with cars, so we might cool as well. They, they flipped a switch, and they made it rain cars. Aliens. That, that scene was actually filmed in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, all the New York stuff was filmed in Cleveland. <clears throat> My brother had footage of cars falling out of a parking garage. 
Oh my gosh. I thought it was all CG, but some of those at least were real. Maybe wow. for reference material. I don't know, but they were chucking some cars out of parking garages. Aliens. Aliens. Why not? Hey, go for it. We have to have a race between Toretta and his black car and an alien in a spaceship for the fate of the world. It was I a just wrote, I just wrote Fast and That's Furious. That's a charger, 10. isn't it, that he drives? Um, to be honest, I don't know. I've lost track. I knew when Fast and the Furious first came out because I know that Walker's character drove, had the Eclipse, and then he blew the engine up in it, and then he got a Supra with the twin turbo engine in it, and they souped it up. And I know that one of the guys from the original Fast and Furious <clears throat> drove a souped up Jetta. I was just curious because I think he has three of them in this movie. I couldn't keep track. Three of those black cars. He, I think he has his original one, then his New York one, and then his Siberian, Siberian Winter Toretta car. <laughs> With the bulletproof uh, yeah. glass. And, yeah. Maybe 5,000 horsepower. <laughs> well, let's put this thing to a vote at least then. 10. Well, before we get that, this had me thinking. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Adam. Like I said, this I'm impervious to this franchise. It hasn't won me over yet. It's not going to win me over. You know, it's just not for me, and I accept that. Do you guys have other franchises that, you know, you look around, people love, and you just don't? The one that came to mind for me was Bourne. The Bourne movies do nothing for me. I feel like they've done the same movie four times. And um, they're, uh, I just can't enjoy any of the Bourne movies. Even back to the first one, I felt like I was crazy because everyone's like, oh, this is better than Bond. It's the new spy movie. So I'm impervious to Bourne. Um, I like Bourne a lot better than this. Yeah, I'm not saying that, yeah. but Bourne does um, nothing for me. Did you have any franchises like that? I'm going to say this, and you're probably going to reach across and slap me. Um, the Mission Impossibles don't do anything for me, man. They, I mean, I find myself watching them because I want to see the stunt that Tom Cruise did. Because he does his own insane stunts, and I want to see that stunt that he does. And the rest of the movie, I could just whatever. Yeah. whatever. No, I get yeah. that. They're all formulaic. I like the Mission Impossibles. Um. And I really like the first Born or two, but I think they've kind of, it's just, and the Mission Impossible is the same way. They're just rehashing the same material over and over. I mean, Born feels like Groundhog Day to me. My God, it's Jason Bourne. Oh my goodness. Where, how did he get here? They always say that in the control room and like yeah. every movie he shows up. And he's the in side. the building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my he's God, here. it's Jason Bourne. And he's here in the building. <laughs> And they've done that five times now, I think. Oh, yep. Absolutely. Good girl. So, Roger, do you have any franchises that you're just kind of impervious to? Yeah, I, I don't. Not that off the top of my head now. Okay. Yeah. Right, I'm going to look up and see how. Because when I think about franchises, <laughs> the new Transformers one doesn't oh, okay. do anything for me. Right, let me say this. In, uh, like the whole Allegiant series. And, uh -oh. and what was young the, adult? Almost, well, I don't even count that. <laughs> you know, those you're I not mean, a teenage girl, Roger. <laughs> but I, I have, and not, and then what's the other one that they did that was real popular? Twilight. Um, well, no, Twilight. That I, I, I that's automatically I've off. I've never the list. seen the Twilight. That's my but, confession. Um, what is the one where it Neither had oh, Hunger Games? Is the other oh, one? Those kind. Yeah. yeah, I'm impervious. I I could care less about those movies. Okay. Yeah. And we all agree on Fast and the Furious. I think we're all kind of impervious to that, right? Yes. No. Hold on. Oh, you're the opposite. It's not impervious, right? Like, this this movie actually engendered hatred for me. It, it isn't like I just bounce off this movie. I don't get it. It 
it made me actually have an emotional reaction. Now, in the history of the podcast, the audience has only really heard you strongly dislike maybe one movie. That would be Beauty and the Beast. How would you compare these two? Oh, uh, a thousand times more I would go see Beauty and the Beast. Okay. There's a, a story. There's dialogue. Um, there's music. It is actually a more com- realistic. A witch casting a spell on a man to make him a beast and a magical rose that drops petals is more realistic than this movie. And it has a competent script, uh, plot. Yes. Decent dialogue. Yeah. 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 I mean, as far no as... No shaky cam in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. As far as what makes a movie a movie, it beats it in every way. Except explosions. Does it beat it like a Cherokee drum? Oh, there I got him. That's a one-liner. <sighs> yes. What do you call him? Whisker biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, they for all the they played up a fight in real life between Vin Diesel and The Rock. You remember that when this movie was shooting? Yes. Those two hardly even share any screen time. They don't have a fight in this movie. That's not spoiling anything. They're only together at the end. Yeah. So I don't know what that was about. I thought it was publicity, but who knows? I I mean, I have no idea. I know that they called him unprofessional. I don't know how anyone could remain their professionalism while working on (laughs) such a film. All right. It's at the end. It's there's not going to be a surprise to this vote, but we got a vote. Does this movie make our halls of the TFC recommends? We'll leave Matt for last. <laughs> He's already laughing. So, Roger, would you recommend this movie to someone? No, I would not. Um, and I'll say this again. If you love this franchise, you're probably going to enjoy this movie. I think you're, you're going to be satisfied with it. But, no, I personally would not recommend this movie. I agree. I'd recommend it to a fan, but... I'd have to clarify. I mean, I'm not making this universal recommendation because I don't like it. It's not for me, but it must be for the fans. So I'm a no. It should burn this movie. It should be stripped from the annals of <laughs> no, 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 Just wait a minute here. No, now. Not wait, wait a, a minute. minute. No, yes, wait a minute. This is the just top w- five worst films I've ever seen. It's art. Just because you didn't appreciate it for what it was. No, people- it was a paycheck. This 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 franchise has now become a paycheck. Art is something you pour your heart and soul into and create and then show it to the world as as a reflection of your view on something or yourself or or it, it has Sorry. art has something to it. This is devoid of anything that makes it art. The smoke alarm's about to go off. We're gonna have to stop. <laughs> So that's a no. Thumbs that's down. Thumbs down. No. <laughs> yep. All right. Well. well. Well, that's the end of that. Thank goodness. <laughs> now I can go back to being normal because all during the news section, I'm just over here steaming. Now, hopefully I've gotten it off he my chest. He was clenching and unclenching his the, fist. The other, the other segments may go easier for me. Maybe well, not. It may hopefully. take me some time to go to get out of my system. Um, but... Again, Fast and the Furious, the consensus is if you're a fan of it, go check it out. If you're not, avoid it like the plague. And uh, we'll take a short break and be back with our next segment. (laughs) 
All right, we're back to our segment of the Decade Do-Over. We're currently slowly traveling through the 90s, and we made it all the way to 1992. So for this segment, we either see a new movie that we haven't seen before, or we go back and revisit a movie we haven't seen in some time to reevaluate it at this point in our lives. So I'm going to start with Matt. What movie did you choose for your 1992 revisit or new viewing? Well, I chose a movie I'd never seen before. Um, actually, somehow this never even got on my radar, probably because I was living in the middle of nowhere and just, it probably never came to my local cinema. Um, but it is a drama adapted from, um, David Mamet's 84 Pulitzer Prize and Tony winning play of the same name. And it was directed by James Foley and that is Glengarry Glenn Ross. Okay, and you said you'd never seen this before. I had never seen it before. Was it have anything with Baby Boss and those previews that kind of brought it to your mind with Alec Baldwin? No, because I didn't even know that's where it was from. Oh, okay. I had no idea that that's where that line was from. For those of you that don't know, put down the coffee. Coffee's for closers is the line, and it's Alec Baldwin, and in whatever the cartoon, it's put the cookie down, cookies are for close. I didn't even know... I mean, once I saw Glengarry Ross, I was like, oh, of course, that's why they did that. Yeah. Um, but I'd never seen it. Um, it has, I mean, the the actors in it are outstanding. Incredible. So I've never, never heard of this Al, movie. Al Pacino, oh, yeah. Jack no. Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Ed <laughs> Harris, Alan Arkin, Kevin Spacey, I wanted to and do Jonathan this. I, I want to watch this movie now, um, just seeing these actors. So, essentially, the gist of it is it's... A simple premise, it's two days in the life of four real estate salesmen. Um, and if what it's like working in that industry when you get crap leads and you think people are out to get you and people are holding you back and your entire compensation and everything is based off commissions. And um, I mean, as far as the plot goes... There are good leads. Alec Baldwin gets brought in to kind of kick everyone in the pants and tell them they need to be doing good. And that's where he gives the speech, always be close, you know, all this, the, the one-liners I've heard but never knew where they came from, right? Put down the coffee, coffee's for closers, all that deal. Um, but whoever um, is able to meet certain criteria get these really good leads, Right, the ones that they're going to be able to make a lot of money on, and some of the people develop a plan to try to steal those leads in the middle of the night, and um, they talk about it. One of them backs out, and then you find out they are stolen, and you're like, "Who in the world stole these?" And then you find out later on who stole them, and it kind of, you know ruins you know of course that person's career but it doesn't show you like the aftermath of it it's literally just two days worth of stuff um when i kind of read the synopsis of it saw who was in it saw some of the reviews for it i was kind of excited because i used to i used to sell security systems door to door yeah um it paid straight commission you know if i didn't make a sale uh i wasn't getting paid and trying to do that in rural parts of west virginia <clears throat> I cannot wow. tell you the number of weapons that have been pulled on me. 
Um, worst was showing up to a guy's house that was robbed two nights before thinking that I robbed his house so then I could come and sell him a security system. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The nerve on you, boy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And the fact that he pulled his shotgun, loaded it in front of me, and told me to go off his property or he was going to kill me. So... Uh, I pulled a Dukes of Hazard, slid over the the, the, front, <laughs> the hood of my car, and got in and sped off as fast as I possibly could. But anyway, this movie, I like it for the performance. I like the way it shows the salesman, the kind of desperation you go through in that sense. When you're, you know, I was a young, stupid kid trying to make money. These people are, are with families. Right. How do you support a family? And if right. you have ill loved one, you know, how do you how do you do that? Um, so that desperation comes through completely in. In all of this, because, you know, at the end of this week, you know, they line them up to say, you know, whoever sells. There's four salesmen, whoever sells the most, the two top salesmen. They get to keep their jobs. The rest of them get fired. Right. <laughs> so now you're out. Um but some things surprised me in this, in this film. One is, it is, I don't, I don't have a problem with cursing, right? But it was unexpected, the amount of cursing in this movie. Wow. It was, it was unexpected. When, when I see someone that I've seen in films for a long, Jack Lemmon, right? Sure. Jack Lemmon just dropping F-bombs like it's his job. And that, that like that somehow pained me because I'm you know I'm used to seeing Jack Lemon in a certain light. Oh yeah, and here he is, and it it was shocking. Like I had to I had to actually like pause the movie, come to terms with this is the kind of movie it's going to be with Jack Lemon. You know, from like Pacino or Ed Harris or I expect Alan. I, I get that. I, I I don't have a problem with it. But when it was Jack Lemon, I was I was shocked. Because he's older in this movie. He's not yes. like a young man and yeah. he's, you know, going to town. But there is there is some great dialogue in this movie. Oh, yeah. Even with the... Uh, it is awesome. At, at one point, Pacino starts laying into Kevin Spacey's character. And it is glorious. I mean, it is glorious. Because they have a manager who's played by Kevin Spacey that's never sold anything in his entire life. And he's managing these salespeople, and Spacey's just screwing up. Essentially, there's one deal that Pacino is sold, and he needs Kevin Spacey's character to back him up, and he doesn't. And then after the deal falls apart, Pacino lays into him. And it's it was just great. That and... Alec Baldwin's, you know, pep speech, I guess, to me, were the two parts that really uh, stuck out to me and were just superb. Yeah, I like this movie. Um, it feels overly theatrical, just coming from the stage play kind of Yeah, source. and I think it's kind of hard because it's literally two yep. sets. Like, there's two sets. There's an office and a restaurant, and that's all the movie's shot yeah, in. Yeah, it's a very closed world, but, it, I mean, it's coming from theater, and that's a complaint that... Um, Fences has received because that's also from a play this year and I haven't seen Fences yet. I haven't either. But people feel it's too small for the cinema and it feels like such a contained story, but it, it's coming from a stage play. Yeah, no, it, I, I can get that. I mean, it does feel small and contained and 
and, and I don't get that. I, I don't understand why that's such an issue. I mean, for goodness sake, Tarantino shot The Hateful Eight in essentially two locations. Yeah. And shot it in 70 millimeter, extra wide, you know? And I thought that was glorious film. I loved the I loved the the look, the feel. Right, but it doesn't this well, movie I, no, has no. a way different feel than no, that. Oh yeah. No, no. But what I'm saying is that why are we getting conditioned as a moviegoer unless it's big and bold and sweeping and nine different countries and twelve different cities and you know a movie can still be really good and be in one location the whole time. No, I'm not saying that. I just mean that because, look, I like Reservoir Dogs. It takes place mainly in a warehouse right Yeah. And Hateful Eight. They don't feel as constrained with the cameras and everything else. It doesn't feel like you're just watching something on a plate yeah, that is this I big. get that, yeah. So it has this claustrophobic kind of feel, at least to me. Okay. And this is one of the worst box arts of all time. I don't know if you've seen this. It looks like, I mean, these are when all the Grisham movies were coming out. Yeah. It's a shadowy figure in the background and like broken glass and then the other yeah, that, stars. That is not even remotely close. Oh no, it's terrible box yeah. art. But when Yeah, I think one of the reasons it feels like a play is because it's kind of done like a play. Yeah. Right? So some of the, the comments from the actors with the they would do five or six page shoot scenes all at once. So it felt like a play where you memorize right. this long monologue, go to town. Yep. But another thing is I mean, this this play won awards, right? So there is a distinct rhythm and pattern to the language being used in the movie. And I bet, I mean, even some of the actors said that that was hard to get used to and absorb to try to, to, to work that. Um, one thing I did like and did notice as the film was going on was as the film moves along, the color palette of the film decreases. So... In the beginning, it's not, it's low lighting shadows, blues, greens, right. reds. The inside of the Chinese restaurant, which is the other location other than the office, is red. But as it goes on, you're pretty much just monochromatic blue gray. Wow. So it you get ble- that sense. It gets bleaker. Well, it's like you can, it gets bleaker and you can feel it closing in around you. Like, oh, wow. You know, so that's cool. I mean, I thought it was a really good movie. Um, if you can get over the fact that Jack Lemon cusses like a sailor. Well, that'd be tough for me. <laughs> I know. And that's why I brought oh, it up, Roger. Cause I don't know if I can see it now if you tell me that. I but. mean, I've seen, I've seen a lot of, of older Jack Lemon yeah. stuff. And I view him as kid-friendly funny exactly. and all this stuff. And this definitely not kid-friendly. Wow. So They used to call the play Death of the Effing Salesman. Yes. So... Um, but great performances all around. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at 94%, which I think is justified. I mean, yeah, it's, no, it's a, good a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, um, it may not be for everyone because it's literally two days in the life of four salesmen. It's more dialogue-driven, performance-driven than story-driven. I mean, the story is what it is. There's guys trying to sell stuff and someone steals some leads. That's about it. Um, they actually sell them to a competitor. But go check it out. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed with the performances in the movie, and it should be enjoyable. All right. For my 1992 movie, this is a revisit for me. I bet I know what it is. <laughs> you probably do. Uh, but go ahead. I watched, rewatched Bram Stoker's Dracula from Francis Ford Coppola. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen this movie. Um, I liked it originally. 
and I still I have some more reservations now than I used to have. Okay, but that's I still overall really like the movie. And for the most part, this is the last time that Universal tried to make an epic Universal monster movie. Sure. I mean, it was epic in scope and time and locations and everything, and they mostly get this Dracula story right. But, and here's the but, they felt like I think they needed to clean up the story because some characters are not connected. Um, For instance, Mina Harker and Dracula... Right. In the book. And if you've never read the book, it's it's not a straight narrative. It's journal entries, diary entries, newspaper articles. It's never from any character's point of view. Right. Dracula and Mina don't have any romantic relationship. He comes after her to turn them against the hunters, Van Helsing and his crew. Sure. But the movie plays up that she looks like his lost love, Elisabetta. And he falls in love with her and he cries when she doesn't want him. He's very emo Dracula in this movie. Emo Dracula. Emo, even before Twilight, this is emo Dracula. Okay. And it just doesn't work. I don't think they needed that connection and that love is eternal. They keep saying something like that, that she somehow reincarnated Elisabetta. But other than that, I think the movie works. Have you seen this movie? I have seen the movie, yes. I'm curious your thoughts because I know you're not a real horror buff. I'm not really, but I really enjoyed it. I saw it in the theater when it came out. And it might have been... It wasn't it wasn't a uh, a date movie for Rhonda and I. Um, I think maybe I just just went to the theater and saw it. You know, my wife's not my wife's not she's not a very big movie goer to begin with, and so early in our marriage, before we had kids and all this stuff, I would just pop out and I'd be like, "Hey, I'm going to the movies tonight." She's like, "Okay, have fun," you know, kind of deal. And I think that's how I saw this movie. Um, and I remember really thinking, "Wow, they're making like." At the time, now I want to rewatch it. Yeah. Since I've, I'm very keen to rewatch it. I remember thinking they tried to do Godfather in a Dracula movie. Like they tried it's to make so it so epic. They tried to make it epic and sweeping and yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, good for them. You know, the production design's great. This movie draws you in right from the beginning because it shows him as Vlad the Impaler. He's wearing, I still remember that, the red armor that looks like muscle. Oh, yeah, yeah. They I do forgot a, about that, see? They do a mix of the battle. There's shadows fighting, but there's puppets in the background for the smaller guys. And him renouncing God in that opening scene is great because this movie still is one of the all-time great horror scores. Great music. He's renouncing God when Elizabeth killed herself. He's screaming at the priest, and then he stabs his sword into this big stone crucifix, and the blood pours out of it. And he's saying he's drawing all the forces of darkness to himself, yep. and he drinks the goblet of blood and becomes Dracula, and then it puts the title up. That's a great opening. Yeah, yeah, I had forgot. I had forgotten about the whole opening, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Keanu Reeves is miscast in this movie. He's the weak part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it. I saw. I actually snuck into the theater. Mm-hmm. So if my mother's listening, yes, I wasn't eighteen yet. And said I was going to some other movie and snuck in. I don't know how it's possible to sneak in when literally there's two doors for two different theaters. And I <laughs> and I walk out of one and walk into the other. Um, I was 11. And you yeah, saw it? And I got my dad to take me to it. Well, you got your dad to take you to it. Yes. There's no way in this world my parents would let me go to it. Why? <laughs> because there's nudity in it. Dracula's Brides. Yes. And I I remember... You know, watching it and thinking, there's a lot of extra stuff here. Yeah. I don't need to see 
whatever the beast and the chick in the garden. It was just weird. Poor Lucy. Yeah. So. I remember the same thing with Keanu Reeves thinking, he seems lost this whole movie. He is. He, he's supposed to be an English young lawyer. And that's just not Keanu Reeves. No. Yeah, he's kind of lost. And he struggles with the dialogue. Yeah. So he was miscast. Gary Oldman is great. This is, is one of his phenomenal. best performances. Yes. Well, when isn't Gary Oldman? No, but this is, this is top Gary Oldman. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I like Tom Waits as Renfield. Crazy old Renfield who's consuming lives in his prison cell. He's eating <laughs> flies because they, and he eats spiders because they eat flies. So they have more life in them than he wants a cat. He wants to eat a cat because there's a lot of life in a cat because he oh, figures yeah. it eats all these well, lesser things. Well, they have things. nine lives, too. <laughs> yeah. So Renfield is great, and that's Tom Waits. And Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing. He's yeah. really funny in this role. How was this movie received? It was pretty popular, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, it's over 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was well-received. And it was a big, expensive horror movie. I mean, horror never gets this kind of scope. Right. Because you have an epic opening. You have Dracula coming to London. And then the chase begins. They they destroy all of his layers, and they chase him all the way back to Transylvania. Because you remember he's moving by boat, and they're on horse, and they're fighting gypsies. It's crazy ending. I yeah, I've got to revisit this movie, man. It's worth a revisit. I'm glad I did. That's cool. And listen to the score. The song "The Vampire Hunters" is still used in trailers. I looked it up to make sure this was the first time it was used. It wasn't a classical piece of music, and it's not. It was made for this movie. And Vampire Hunters is pure trailer music. You still hear it today. That's that's really cool. All right, so Roger, we are down to you. What movie did you watch for so, 1992? When I pulled up the list, the Google list of 1992, um, I just had to go to this. I had to go see this film, and it's super popular film, and it's uh, Unforgiven, the western. Um, and I gotta tell you, I, I loved this movie when it came. Let, let me put it this way: I liked this movie and thought it was great when it first came out. Went to the theater and saw it. it won a ton of awards. It made, I think even Best Picture. I mean, it won just a slew of awards at the time. And I just and I, I love westerns anyway. And so I just remember thinking, wow, this is a totally different kind of western. You know, this isn't a feel good, oh, happy ending kind of western. And so I wanted to revisit it to see what it's like, you know, all these years later. And I've got to tell you, it has aged well. I, For me, I enjoyed it more this week when I watched it than when I saw it in 1992. It is a masterpiece of filmmaking, in my opinion. I, you know, I know maybe not everybody will agree with that. Maybe people don't like the premise and stuff. But every character is cast just perfectly in this film for me you got the young upstart you know and the story basically for those of you that maybe don't know what unforgiven is about it's it starts out with clint eastwood as a aged old gun for hire that has found a wife and settled down and he has a couple kids he's a pig farmer and she has passed. It's been three years since she died, and he's having to. And she was the one who saved him, who who brought him away from whatever life he was, you know, before. And um, there, the the movie opens with a with a house of ill repute up north in Kansas territory or the northern part of the country, and there is one of the girls there gets horribly cut up by a customer. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the girls in this house of ill repute, they come together and they're like, well, we're going to fix you because 
Uh, the sheriff in the town, Gene Hackman, is phenomenal. I mean, this cast is just so good, man. I'm telling you. Uh, Gene Hackman uh, makes the guy just uh, ha- makes the two guys involved in this travesty with this young girl. They ma- he says, okay, y'all bring back five horses, and you bring back two horses, and you're going to pay the debt. Basically, they treat this girl like property. What's fair value for the damage that's been done to her? And they treat her like property, and you know the girls get the the rest of the girls there get ticked off. They raise a thousand dollars. Nineteen, it's eighteen eighty was when the movie is set. They raise a thousand dollars, and they put out a bounty for whoever will kill these two guys. And so in comes the bounty hunters, and Gene Hackman takes care of them one by one as they come in. But Clint Eastwood is William Money. He's not just any bounty hunter. He's a guy whose name is known through all the territory as a guy who's done some horrific things. I mean, he's killed men, women, and children, you know, and uh, um, just horrific, horrific stuff. And he gets pulled back into this with his, and then his partner in crime is uh, Morgan Freeman. And then this young upstart kid who thinks he's all that, but really he's just putting on a big show. So the combination, the chemistry, the way they clicked uh, was just, I just, I enjoyed it so much again watching it this week. And I remember thinking, this is just, for me, just perfect movie making, perfect film, dialogue, ending, the resolution, um, the payoff when when Eastwood finds out that they tortured Morgan Freeman and killed him. And when you see that, he turns, he turns like this and his, for the first time in the whole film, his eyes go wide. That's rare for Clint Eastwood. And that never happened. And his eyes get wide and he's just like, he was going to go in and kill everyone in the town if he needed to, you know? And so for me, I just, I loved it. Uh, So glad I went, Back and if you enjoy westerns, I would just high, I would super highly recommend it. Yeah, so unfor- yeah, this is one of my all time favorite westerns. But yeah, is it? I mean, but it's one of those movies that even like transcends a western. Oh yeah, it, it yeah. totally does. Yeah. yeah, it transcends even westerns, and it's just. Uh, uh, I mean, it's done almost like it starts almost like a documentary. There's a scroll describing setting the mood, and st- I mean, the movie is just. It is a masterpiece of filmmaking. It's, I can't, I can't give it any more praise than that. It's, it's, it's uh, probably if I had to score my top ten movies of all time, it's in there for sure. Maybe even in my top five of all time. It's just a great, great film. And I, and I'd kind of forgotten about it. I'd kind of, you know, it's one of those movies where you really enjoy it at the time, and then you just kind of you move on. You start seeing other stuff, and you kind of forget this. You don't forget it, but. It's not in your memory again. And, man, I'm so glad I went back and watched it. I, I don't think there was a miscast person. Not one person was miscast. The chemistry was great. Uh, the scenes, they, they don't play. They don't, like, fall into any kind of, like, tropes. Or, or they don't – it's just great. The pacing's good. It's just I – I I just loved it. Completely loved it. So – Okay, I think that wraps up 1992. We'll be jumping forward into 1993. I'm going to stick to horror. I have no idea what I'm about to watch. Jason, the final chapter. Oh, man. (laughs) Probably probably something else. I don't have any idea either. Yeah. I will have to say from any 1993 film, I'm probably not going to watch this one again, but the film I've seen the most is CB4. 
Have you oh, ever seen yeah. CB4? Yes, oh, Lord, are yes you I serious? have. Yeah, the Chris Rock like gangster rap parody. Yeah, that's hilarious. I, for some reason, on senior trip, we had a VHS of this, and someone, oh, man. and so I was in Myrtle Beach for a week and literally watched this movie probably twenty times. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, well, I think that'll wrap it up, and when we come back, we'll get into. Our movie homework. You're listening to The Film Coterie. It's time for our movie homework. Movie homework. Yay. So I'm going to start with Roger because I want to hear his take on this movie. Roger watched God Bless America because Matt, of all people, gave this to him. <sighs> Matthew. And Matthew. This is such a perfect union to discuss Matthew. this. Because <laughs> of the way Matt reacted to. Matthew, I now know fully why you loved God Bless America Fate after hearing you describe Fate and the Furious. I even wrote a little sign to Matt that said, God bless America on it. As and you he weren't was, just being patriotic. And I was not being patriotic. So Matt assigned me God bless America. Matt, do you want to just take a minute and say why you decided to assign this to me? Or what about this film you like? Or? Um, the reason I assigned it to you is because you, the previous week, you had assigned me the Netflix movie with Elijah Wood. That's, I'm not at home in I'm the world. I'm not at home in, at, in this world anymore yeah. or something like that. And... It was kind of commentary on society and like uh, societal degradation and and things like that. And um, the movie was all right, but I didn't really like it. But staying in that same, because you said you're throwing darts at what I may or may not like. So I decided to give it right back to you and say, if you want a commentary on society, I like this one. I mean, it's essentially saying the same thing. Oh, yeah. But it's in a different package. Yep. So that's why I gave it to you. Okay. So my thoughts on this movie. First of all, let me say this. I'm not a man given to swearing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to say that. Actually, I I, I rarely ever utter a swear word. But oh, my God. The opening scene of this movie, I literally uttered a swear word in the opening scene of this movie. It By far... The most shocking opening scene I have ever seen in a movie by far. I I, I literally I've not seen this in years. You're gonna I literally me. I literally fell out of my chair, uttered a swear word, and my wife hollers down, "What are you watching?" And I said, "I don't know what in the world Matt has gotten me into." <laughs> <laughs> this scene opens with. Um, Murray, the actor, Bill Murray's brother, right? right. Uh, I can't think. I'm terrible. Joel. With name. Joel Murray, yes. Which I'm going to say right now, phenomenal acting job in this movie. Yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> I, you know, I'd seen him in Mad Men and thought, oh, he's kind of playing that stereotypical 60s drunk salesman. Drunk salesman. I didn't think much of him. Phenomenal acting in this movie, by far. Um, the opening scene, he has neighbors that are very loud, and they have a young baby that's very loud. 
and he, he starts I remember. to now, I, it's, it's all now coming back. Now it's coming now. back. <laughs> yeah. And um he goes into his daydream world of what he'd like to do to shut up those neighbors and it's implied what he's going to do with the shotgun when the mom raises the baby over her head and you hear boom <laughs> and it flashes back and there's blood all over her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like what have I gotten myself into with Matt? <laughs> and, I, and this is coming from someone that, like, I can't handle when babies are killed or put in harm's way in movies. And, and then you realize yeah. you realize he's kind of daydreaming. He's, like, fantasizing, dreaming how what he'd like to do to these people. And I thought, okay, well, here we go. So the next scene, he's at his office. And there are four coworkers standing. He's, and it's the typical worst job in the world you could have. The heart of a, a cubicle that's bland, you know. And these four co-workers are just blah, 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 blah. Superficial stuff in the world. And, and let me just back up. Let me back up here, okay? The movie is a commentary on how we are drawn to the nothingness of this world. Stuff that literally doesn't matter worth snot, you know? Kardashians and reality TV. And, yes. Yeah. It's a commentary on all... And... and I loved the premise of this movie. I think this movie it says a lot in its message, in its premise about how we are so fascinated. You know, you can, I can imagine, you know, a young person today, they're tweeting about how they're just so into some new sushi place and they're going to go on and on and on for 20 minutes. And then you look at them and you say, well, you know, what about global uh, hunger that's going on in Sudan? And they're like, what? You know, but they're all oh, they can go on for all day. You know, and so it's that anger we build up how people just drone on and on and on. And they give so much of their time, their attention, their love, their affection to stuff that's just crap. Just doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And so here's a guy, uh, Joel Murray, right? This is the character in this, in this movie. He plays Frank. He plays Frank. Yeah. yeah. Frank is in a kind of a dead-end job in a cubicle, and he comes in, and there are these four co-workers that are, are across the office way, and they're just blah, 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 blah. And he goes into his dream kind of thing again, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. He's just blowing them away, which, and I'm laughing. I'm laughing out loud at this point, like, okay, this is dark comedy. I, I'm totally on board. I'm laughing. I'm loving this, loving this movie. And then he goes in and it just compounds. He goes into his boss and they they fire him because he did one nice thing. He he actually saw that the secretary was just really down all the time. Maybe what I what we would normally call a healthy conversation, a little bit of flirting, and he decides to send her flowers. She reports him, bam, you know, the one nice gesture ever done in the whole company, and they fire him over it. Then he goes to the doctor's office. And I didn't even recognize who the doctor was the first pass. The, the first time they showed the doctor, I had no clue who this dude was, right? But this is the guy that wrote and directed the movie, the comedian. Bobcat. Bobcat. Yeah, Bobcat. I didn't recognize him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I did when because they go back to him later in the movie. And so he finds out he's got a brain tumor and has just a few weeks to live. He's going to die, you know? So, so... It's at this point in the movie where things, me and this movie start to depart just a little bit, just to be honest with you. Um, 
he, he goes, he's going to kill himself, right? He puts a gun in his, in his mouth. He's going to kill himself. And then he gets this wonderful idea. Before I go, let me just take out the problems in this world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Now, I've said this. This is the opposite of Joe versus the volcano. Because... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It hit me the second time I saw it. Oh. Joe gets his diagnosis that's wrong, that he's going to die, and he wants to do something good. So he's going to go down to this island and throw himself in a volcano to appease, Sacrifice himself for to all appease the volcano and save yes. all the people. Yes. So this is the opposite. This is the opposite. Of Joe versus the volcano. And so... Well, he's still going to do something to attempt to save the world. To attempt to... In his, yeah. his jarred mind... Now, I have to give it to the guy. The poor guy has just you know his wife has divorced him he can't see his daughter anymore they moved away he's lost his job he's been diagnosed with brain cancer has no no reason to live right so i understand um, before we get into the departure what did you think of the you, you've talked about the office scene he has a monologue in that office scene where he's talking Great. to his co-workers yes yeah and and they're looking at him like what are you talking about? They're they're looking at him like, really? I mean, like he's like he's. He, they look at him like he's an alien. Yeah, they can't comprehend that 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 somebody would even look at the world that That's way. That's how I feel when I look at Facebook. I feel like I'm an alien living <laughs> on another planet. Yes, and and so and so um. So he decides, instead of killing himself, there's this brat of a teenage girl that is just, she is the stereotype of every horrible young teenage girl. She's horrible to her parents. Her parents are rich. She's like the Kardashian girl on steroids, like uh, exponentially worse, you know? And so he stalks her. He goes down, stalks her, is going to kill her. He's going to, he handcuffs her. To their car, he's going to light the car on fire, blow her up, you know, kill her, and then he's going to go kill himself as this one act of desperation. In the meantime, he's interrupted by another, you know, older teenagers, you know, girl who kind of interrupts him, and 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 he ends up having to shoot the the girl in the car and kill her. Everybody witnesses this. You know, he steals his neighbor's canary yellow Chevy Charger, whatever super souped up car. This the other teenage girl locates him in his hotel room and tracks him down, and basically she's the same way. She gives him this story: I have a horrible life, but you know I've been abused. Uh, I say we just take a bunch of people out before it's all over, you know. And she talks her way into going on this rampage with him as he goes around and tries to right the wrongs with society, killing all these people that he feels deserves to die. The, uh, one of the victims is the Rush Limbaugh-esque, you know, the conservative talk radio guy that's spewing hater, the Sean Hannity, whatever you, you know, that guy, he, he, you know, they take him out and, and they go on this like killing spree and they're never caught. <laughs> they even do a killing spree in the movie theater because there's idiots who don't know to be quiet when the movie starts, you know? And the news is is like, well, you know, the movies theme. The news continually spins the story to not get the truth the way it should actually be, kind of deal. Um, until finally, the movie comes to a head, and there's they go to the American. It's got talent, but it's the actual American Idol spoof. Yeah, yeah American Idol. Yeah, and there's a big shootout at the end, and it kind of, you know, there's an ending to this movie. So, 
Um, and I loved, I thought the movie was very funny in the beginning. Hilarious. I loved when it was stuff in his mind, it was real easy for me to just laugh and, and go on board with his journey, you know? Um, but when it became real and he started actually killing people, I laughed less as the movie went on. And to at the point at the end of the movie, I couldn't find myself laughing at all at the movie. Um, I think the performances are great. Um, I was a little wigged out. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast or not. <laughs> okay, I've already spilled say, the beans. Say what on the podcast? What I'm about to say. I was a little wigged out by the girl, the young girl. Now, I will say this. I think it was really cool that the young girl tried to initiate a sexual relationship with the older guy, Frank, and he just wouldn't have none of it. He's not a pedophile. He's not going to take advantage no. of a young girl. It's just none of that. And I really liked that. I thought that was really cool. And so it becomes a buddy film with them. But the girl wigged me out because she looked identical to my girlfriend in high school. I mean, identical. <laughs> this is so weird. She looked literally just like the girl I dated in high school. And so that kind of wigged me out. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced anything like that, but it's, no. it's very weird. I'm just going to say it right now. Um, but yeah, I, 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 did I like the movie? I, I, I really liked the performances in the movie. I thought they were great. I thought uh, Frank, Joel Murray was just great. And he was named Frank for a reason. Just, you know, I mean, he's being yeah, that he's honest. He's being great Frank. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's the point of it. You know, um, I'm... I'm just for the opening sequence and its shock value, it was worth the visit. It's I, it, I don't know if I'll ever have that experience in a movie again where it's just like, I literally was like, holy bleep, as I'm sitting in the floor. And I was like, what what, the, what, what, what has, has he done to me? What journey has Matt taken me on that this SOB? <laughs> I think I said that in Human Centipede 2. That shocked me. For oh, a my gosh. But uh, overall, I did enjoy the film. Um I just, I think this movie could have kept its real dark humor if he if they could have figured out some way to keep it in dream sequences, and him spoil their lives in some other way, you know. But I don't know how you would have done that, you know. I don't yeah. know how you how you act that that really would have taken some artistry. But the beginning to me was very funny, uh, very dark, dark comedy, um, and it just kind of as it went on. Um, yeah, it just it just there was the humor left me and I was like, "Oh, okay. You know, this is really how it's going to end. I knew how you know how it's going to end. You, there's no other way this movie can end, you know." And then a little bit it was a little bit fantastical in its storytelling because they're in a bright yellow sports car and in the world today, they would have had them caught like in 2 days. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. So it is it's almost like he's doing a fantasy I don't know. And maybe if maybe if at the end, because the end scene is he and the girl. I loved the comment. And he looks at the girl right before they're about to just bite it. And he says, I think you're pretty. I loved that line because it was honest. It was real because yeah. he wouldn't tell her that because he didn't want her to get any ideas in her head that this was going to be any kind of sexual relationship at right. all. But he tells her right before he knows they're about to bite. He looks at her and says, I just want to let you know, I think you are pretty. You are a pretty girl, you know, kind of deal. And then all hell breaks loose and they're 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 killed and stuff. I think maybe if there had been a scene at the end where 
he kind of flinches or something and he's back in his cubicle or something or where this, but it wasn't, he really did these things in this movie, you know, and that really bothered me. Well, well, see, I appreciate that the movie went for it and didn't back off of it. And I, and I think that's intentional too, because you said the humor starts to leave. And, and for me, that's where the movie becomes real because like, this is going to sound awful. I, I don't, have visions of what Frank does, but I identify with Frank, right? Like I think a lot of people do, like yeah. pulp culture irritates me to no end. And it, and it always not always has, but once we started going down this road of, you know, reality TV and propping up what should be the least of us and turning them into superstars for bad behavior, like pop culture left me for the most part and I did test it. Uh, so I, I think I identify with Frank. I don't want to kill anybody. I don't have visions, but, but I think they overblow it to say, Hey, it may be all right to be upset with what you see around you. Cause his big thing is there's no more decency in the world anymore. Yeah. Just because you think you're being edgy doesn't mean you shouldn't be decent. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the thing that, that I took away, why I like the movie so much, because he just wants people to be decent. A moral right, moral wrong, and just be decent human yeah. beings. And there's some shocking murders in this movie. I mean, shocking. Literally, there's a special needs kid that he just takes out. <laughs> and and I find myself, I'm wanting to laugh, but I just couldn't. Yeah. I was just like, oh, oh, Frank, don't. But you know, he's Frank. And when the dude, when the kid, you know, because there's a scene where a special needs kid, it's in the news, he's made fun of by the American Idol people, and then two days later he tries to kill himself, you know, and is unsuccessful, and they everybody wants to lift his spirits, they bring him back on, but the kid reveals he didn't try to kill himself because they made fun of him, he tried to kill himself because they wouldn't put him on TV and make him more famous. Yeah. yeah. And that just crossed the line with Frank. Oh, yeah. And that- he was just like, bam, you're out of here. You know? Yeah. And I was like, oh. I, I, I want to laugh because it's it's comical and dark and ironic and yes you 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 know it doesn't matter who you are if you cross that line it, it's over for you but I just couldn't I could not laugh I was like oh okay okay so anyway love the acting performances um, I would never have watched this movie in a million years and I got to watch it because you guys recommended <laughs> it Matt, Matt recommended it to me so. Well, I don't know if I recommended it. It's not a movie I think I'm going to give it to you and you're going to like, right? But you said you were throwing darts. And if you wanted, you gave me a movie that was a comment on society. I wanted to give you one back to say, if if you want to go down that road, if you want to know what I, in, you know, dip your toes into my brain, that's the kind of movie I like right. as far as a comment on society. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, for my movie, Roger gave me the Orson Welles flick, Touch of Evil. And I gave this movie to you with a little trepidation. Mm-hmm. I really like it, but I'm stepping out on, for me, I'm stepping out on a limb because I could be like, Adam, I could really see Adam not liking this movie. So I'm not going to be offended either way if you hated it or loved it. Um, but I really am curious to see what your impression of this movie was. I think I need to see it again. And it's not that the movie was complex. I was in kind of a bad state when I saw it because... <laughs> Fair enough. The Blue Jackets lost. 
Oh, yeah. I didn't want to go to bed. I was kind of bummed by the game. It was not a, a very good game for game one of the playoffs here. So I threw it on. It's late at night. I was tired. And the story, it just didn't draw me in. Well, at one, yeah. One and of I'll, I'll briefly describe it. This, sure, is a crooked, this is a crooked cop tale. And Orson Welles is playing the crooked cop that may be fabricating some evidence to always get his convictions and everything else. And Charlton Heston is playing a Mexican officer. It's just Charlton Heston with a tan. He didn't really try to do much with the accent, no which accent is good. Happened, I mean, yeah. that that would have been bad if yes. he was trying to do some no. kind of hokey Mexican accent. But it just felt really predictable to me. Okay. And I just was not drawn in by it. So, I mean, I think it was just a mix of late at night and sure, just kind of in a bummed out mood because well, the Blue Jackets. And I tell people, like, when you explore this kind of movie, for one, I'll tell you why it fascinates me. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Number one. It has one of the best opening sequences I've ever yes, seen in a movie. The opening sequence with was tension, because there's a you, you see it very clearly. They place four minutes on a bomb, they put it in a trunk, and then for three and a half minutes you follow this car as it creeps through town, interacting with people, police officers waiting on it. To, so I really like that opening Hitchcockian kind of tension building, good scene. This is not a movie for plot and story. No, it's, it's really it, not. It's jumbled, messed, and there's Orson, nothing really there. Orson Welles almost does that intentionally because the town is a jumbled, messed up. And this like, was this was based on a book. He did the screenplay, right. but it was based on a novel, and I, I just can't imagine this novel being very interesting. Yeah, um, this movie really is about just having experiences. Yeah, and the way it's framed, the way it's shot, the oh, way it looks great, the way that they position, you know, the camera. The way they draw tension uh, with where the guys enter the hotel room, th- those kind of things, and the girl's vulnerable in her nighty there, and you know, it's made to evoke tension and that, those kind of things. It's interesting for me because Orson Welles put on a fat suit to play this. Now he was oh. he, he was a large man in real life later in his life, and he was starting to become kind of a big guy. Yeah, I didn't. But he that. literally wore a padded suit to play this because. And he wanted every one of his shots, if you notice, he always is overwhelming the TV, the, the, the screen. Mm-hmm. He shot in a way where he is larger than life. He's done that on purpose. And then there's a lot of shots in a tiny little elevator where they try to draw you in. So just from a filmmaking perspective, I think I find this film fascinating. Mm-hmm. I've rewatched it probably a half a dozen times, and I catch something new every time I watch it. I can see that. Um and the, the other thing about this film is that it's – oh, and I just forgot. Shoot. <laughs> but anyway, it just yeah. didn't really it just didn't really connect. I, I, could, I could understand that. I, no, I mean I was oh, – I was going to say this is the last major motion picture Orson Welles made in the studio system. And it's kind of a – the story of this sheriff is kind of a biographical story in one sense of Orson's career and life and how he ended up – you know, the, the crooked cop ends up in a trash spewing river dying at the end. And that's kind of what, you know, Hollywood kind of threw Orson Welles away after this. You know, this is probably one of their kings, one of their giants in filmmaking from earlier pictures and in, 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 in Citizen Kane and all this potential. But he wasn't a team player. He wasn't a studio guy. And they chewed him up and spit him out, you know. so Yeah, and I think the part was pro- part of my problem with the movie 
There's no real revelations along the way. There's no real twists and turns. There's not even a really good... The story's not real cohesive either. And you just have a feeling how it's going to end, and it, yeah. it ends that way. I mean, yeah. it just heads straight there. The characters don't develop. No one really goes through any changes. It doesn't really have a clear three-act structure. No, it does not. I mean, it's fine, but it's just not very invigorating it doesn't draw you in i mean it's more something you just kind of passively watch than you actually get actively engaged in yeah at least for me yeah this is the kind of film i would enjoy with somebody who's a expert in cinematography or something yeah that would like you do a film class and they would walk you through these shots and that kind of thing but yeah absolutely fair enough i was i was like well you know this might be a little bit different movie i'm I'm glad i saw it it's it's well regarded it's a classic you know in terms of where it came in at what time but it, it just kind of bounced off me. Absolutely fine. Fair enough. All right. And then we are to Matt. And I assigned him the end of the tour. Um, yeah. Uh, end of the tour, uh, if you don't know, came out in 2015. Um, it is essentially about the American writer David Foster Wallace, who wrote Infinite Jest along with a number of other books and stories. The film stars Jason Siegel, who plays David Foster Wallace, and Jesse Eisenberg. Um, And essentially, it's biopic, but not biopic, because it's it's not like greatest hits of David Foster Wallace's life. It is literally a five-day road trip um, on the last leg of his book tour. For Infinite Jess. So well, he's being interviewed for yeah. a magazine so, piece. Yeah. So Eisenberg plays David Lip, Lipsky. Lipsky. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I, I apologize because he's a pretty prominent author himself. I think it's David Lipsky. It, L-I-P-S-K-Y. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, David anyway, yes. is a reporter for Rolling Stone at the time and convinces it. Convinces his editor to let him go tag along with David Foster Wallace. And it's literally just their trip and the interview he had with him. And, you know, kind of a a peek behind the curtain of who this guy was over a five-day period, flaws and all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought uh, Jason Siegel outstanding because after it was done after i finished the movie i went and watched youtube clips of david foster wallace he kind of nails it yeah and when i assigned this to matt not that i want anything bad to happen to jason siegel but if you were to watch an in memoriam video for him down the road i think this is going to be a highlight of it this is the best performance he's done so far and it's just a testament to what he can kind of pull off given the right role and i i will be honest i am not a huge jesse eisenberg fan like at all and Siegel's performance was so good in it I didn't mind that that Jesse Eisenberg was in this movie Uh, but his I mean the acting is great but to me I mean because it is kind of biopic-ish it's you know his performance is outstanding but to me it all I mean all the it appears that most of the dialogue or a lot of it came from the recordings from the actual interview or at least fictionalization but it doesn't seem too far off after watching real interviews with david foster wallace and he was a just a really interesting guy yeah and here's the funny thing after i saw the movie 
And this movie kind of flew under the radar. I mean, a lot of people really praised it. But I liked it a lot. And I'm surprised there wasn't more talk about it two years ago. So I want to recommend it to you for that. And also the, the same biopic conversation we've had right now, I realize I like these movies a lot that focus on a narrow port of someone's life to right. just kind of yeah. give us a better idea of who they were. Yeah. Not like the greatest hits going through. Because if we're going to do that, I'd rather watch a documentary. Yep. Not a biopic per se, not a fictionalization of someone's life. But if you're going to take a snippet and not even, I mean, this wasn't even like a, you know, it wasn't the days that he was writing infinite jest or what happens when he found out it was a success. This was literally like the last stop on the book tour. They had to go to Minneapolis and no, it was, it was really, I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed kind of that peek behind the curtain of who this guy was. I think maybe I would have liked it even more had I read infinite jest but Infinite Jest came out in, what, 90-something? And as a high school kid, reading a thousand-page hard. Like, his his literature wasn't like Stephen King. Like, you're not going to sit down and burn through it in a night. I mean, his right. his writing was deep and thoughtful and, you know, hard fiction. And that just wasn't on my radar when I was that age. I may actually go and read it now after, you know, watching this and hearing interviews from him. Cool. But uh, the performances I thought were were great. It's funny. When I first saw this, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read Infinite Jest. I haven't. I signed this to Matt. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to read Infinite Jest. So we'll see if this happens. <laughs> I don't have anything on my Kindle right now. So, I mean, I might, I might grab it and force myself to try and read it. It's been on my list for a long time. I've just never pulled the trigger. And for those of you that don't know... Uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, did, he committed suicide. Yeah. So he had suffered from depression for a long time. And I mean, that's how the movie starts. He finds out that he's died and he hits play on his thing. And it's the recording of their conversations and then it starts in, um, but suffered from depression a long time. Didn't like the side effects of one of his medications, got with his doctor to go off his medication and, um, got off, went back on, wasn't working, working with the doctor, wasn't working, and then he hung himself in his garage. So, it, I mean, it's sad. It's not yeah. like he's one of those authors or whatever that went off the deep end. And like, I mean, he had problems with alcohol and drugs, but even in the movie, they say his worst addiction is TV. Yeah. And that even comes across. The, yeah. He meets up with these two girls that he knows in Minneapolis, and he's also a womanizer which is kind of in the movie. Not really, but you can see he has some skewed views on relationships. And um, he gets with these two girls, goes to their apartment, and literally just watches TV till everyone goes to sleep. And, you know, he says that's always been his worst addiction. And in the interviews, they asked him, you know, when you're going in to write a book, how's that process look? And he goes, I spend one hour writing and eight hours worrying that I'm not writing. So, wow. Yeah, he's a really complex character. And I, I think the script is nicely nuanced that they show you that, but they don't really hit it with a hammer. They're very nuanced in how they handle his Yeah, characters. they don't come out one way or another. Because yeah. Eisenberg, at the end of the movie, has a... Um, impression of him, if you will. He, he thinks he's pretending to be um, your average Joe. 
when in reality he may be one of the smartest people in any room he ever goes into. And he almost gets upset that he thinks it's belittling to other people to not show how smart he is. And I've known people like that in my life, right? In in my life, I've known people that were exceptionally smart, but acted incredibly dumb. So people wouldn't have this ill view of them because they were so smart. Hmm. Interesting. So, but it never says, was that the case or, or was he just being himself? It never, it it just leaves it up to you to kind of decide. So we're seeing a pattern develop where Adam really likes these short biopic. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a list, you know, and and end of the tour is one and watching Jackie made me realize that. Now, now, I thought of this while you guys were talking. What about Spielberg's Lincoln? Did you like it? Because it's a very abbreviated section of. It was okay. Okay. I I like these other two a lot better. Lincoln was fine. I I was kind of mixed to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was the it was a movie that came to my mind yeah, that was no, very yeah, brief. I thought about that one in a while. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I liked it. So if uh, if you want to find out, a, you know, a peek behind the curtain of David Foster Wallace, or this is the first time you're ever hearing about him, <laughs> you may want to go check it out, and it may get you to read Infinite Jest too, which, you know, I think on um, book critics list. David Foster Wallace is probably in the top 10 of American authors yeah. in the past hundred years. So and the movie's free on Amazon right now. If it you is have a prime. Membership. It is free. So cool. you can go stream it. Excellent. All right. Time to hand out new assignments. So Matt went last. He gets to give out the first assignment. Oh, I have Adam this week, which is so dun, hard, dun, dun. but it wasn't because I'm still waiting for the, the time I have to assign my wife's favorite movie that no one has ever seen. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to do it this week. Um, let me pull up its IMDb page so I can at least say something about it. That is not the name of the movie I am giving you. <laughs> so, wow. You know it's bad when you actually have to type in IMDb after the name <laughs> of the film. Well, it's a commonly used word, too, though. It is. It, you're right. It is. So I know what it is because Matt asked me earlier yeah, if I'd seen it. Yeah. So I, now I always have to do that because if you've listened to this, you know that me and Adam have seen a lot of movies together. We kind of have the same interests. I haven't seen as much horror as he has. And it's really hard for me to find a movie that is not completely, not complete dreck that I don't want to force on someone on homework <laughs> uh, that he hasn't seen. So... Uh, what I have seen that he hasn't was from 2006, a movie called cash back. And I will check it out. It's on iTunes and Amazon for rental. I have seen this movie. You've seen it too. Very good. Wow. (laughs) This was a late night, uh, HBO showtime. It takes place in the supermarket, right? It does, and the reason yep. the reason it took me so long to see it because it was on Netflix or something for a long time. Or maybe Netflix I, is where I and saw it. And I kept it. going past it. I've, I can't believe I've seen this because movie. Because you know how Netflix uh, always shows you, like, recently watched? The box art of this is pretty provocative, mm-hmm. right? And I'm married, and I'm like, oh, I can't watch this unless my wife's here with me to know I'm going to watch it because I don't want her to come in and think I've just picked this movie because of the box art. (laughs) (laughs) Not that she would care in the slightest, but I just didn't want to have to deal with that conversation. Scoundrel. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So yeah, cashback from 2006. Awesome. Okay. 
So I have Roger. Yes. Uh, Dracula got me in the mood for this movie. All right. I, I'm, 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 I've got myself mentally prepared for horror this week. It's not horror. What? What? Uh-oh. But people will debate it is. Okay. It is gothic romance. Oh, oh, I know what this is. It's by one of my favorite working directors right now, Guillermo del Toro. It is Crimson Peak. Oh, okay. There's ghosts and some other devilry. But like I said, I'm excited for you to see this because the director was kind of screwed over by the studio. They were pitching it as a horror movie. Crimson Peak. And it's more a gothic romance. And it's more like Edgar Allan Poe. It is a gothic. I I have seen this movie as well. And it's definitely gothic romance, I think. So gothic romance has more supernatural elements. I mean, think Poe and think some of that other stuff. But Tom Hiddleston. uh, I like Tom Hiddleston. Okay. I like Del Toro. Okay, I'm excited so, for you to see this. And I've not seen this. Hiddlecakes. Hiddlecakes. That's what awesome. Guillermo del Toro calls Hiddleston because he's so good looking. He just calls him Hiddlecakes. <laughs> we see. We saw him live at our second or third Comic Con out in San Diego. Nice. Yeah, we all, he's very funny. They were on a podcast. Yep. And uh, he just kept referred to him as Hiddlecakes. <laughs> all right, so there you go, Crimson Peak. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And it's not available for streaming anywhere. You can watch it from my iTunes library. Okay. But other people can rent it. It's available on iTunes and Amazon. Awesome. Look, I'm looking forward to it. And for Matt, I just decided to kind of, I just, I didn't want to put a lot of thought into it. I just thought, I'm just, I'm going to pick a movie I like. He may like it. He may hate it. He may have seen it. And I may have to pull something out on the fly here. But Unforgiven got me in my Western mode. And I know Matt even made a comment, no, Westerns, I'm kind of particular or something earlier in the podcast somewhere and this kind of deal. I, I, I like Westerns. I'm pretty particular. I'm not a, like a John Western main uh, fan. I'm more of a, okay. more of like Unforgiven, well, Pale Rider. Well, 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 you're going to get a Jimmy Stewart Western is what I'm going to give you. And I'm, I, 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 I enjoy this film so much that I'm totally cool if you hate it or love it. It ain't going to bother me in the least a little bit kind of deal, you know. Um <laughs> But anyway, it, it, this is as much a revenge film as it is anything else. Um, it gives some of Stewart's, I think, some of Jimmy Stewart's greatest range as far as dramatic, as far as acting. Um, I like the story behind it. It's, it's not. It's. I don't think it won any awards. It didn't set the world on fire. It's your run of the mill. You're going to recognize a lot of these actors. They were kind of, you know, Jimmy Stewart is the star of this film. Anthony Mann is the director, and he's very famous as well. And um, uh, Jimmy Stewart's Horse Paint is in this, who he did 17 films with, which is awesome. And it's and it's literally The Man from Laramie, 1955, The Man from Laramie. And it's your basic cowboy revenge film kind of deal or defend defender of the good film, you know. So anyway, I like the movie. And uh, after watching Unforgiven, uh, I wanted another one of those. There's a particular scene at the very beginning of this movie that I thought of immediately after watching Unforgiven, and I thought, oh, I'm just going to throw that out to Matt. Now, my question is, have you seen this movie? I actually have not seen it. I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't seen a lot of Jimmy Stewart westerns. Okay. So. Because, I mean, I'm thinking, I thought about Night Passage or The Naked Spur or High Country or, I mean, there's a whole Shenandoah. I have a whole... I love Stuart Westerns. I love, oh, I just love any Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart film to begin with. But anyway, um, so I had a lot of, but I like The Man from Laramie. It's a little more of an edgy film, but it was done in 55, so it's very sanitized, very clean. 
you know. Uh, but anyway, I'm just interested to see, you know, if it, if you – any thoughts about it? And If you hate it, it would be fine. If you like it, great. So the man from Laramie. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that wraps up our movie homework. We'll check in next week and give our thoughts. All right, and we are back, and uh, this is our last segment on the Film Coterie. This is our coming attraction segment, and this is where we look ahead to the week to come, what you have to maybe look forward to, what you can maybe go see and check out with us. So, Adam, what's on our radar coming up this week on the Film Coterie's schedule? I hope this is true, and I, um, I think Matt verified it. We should be able to see Free Fire next week, which is the new movie from Ben Wheatley, and... If you've never seen a Ben Wheatley movie, they are different. And his, I never have. I've never seen a Ben Wheatley movie. So his, what what should I expect? They're all different. It's not like he's a he's not like it's Edgar Wright. Or if you see an Edgar Wright movie, you kind of get a feeling of. But he did High Rise. He did a Field in England. Um, did you pull up his IMD page? What else has he done? Uh, I I just did, but I was flipping over to one of my so. Um, he has done High Rise, A Field in England, Sightseers, Kill List. Um, well, what's his name? Down Terrace. Steve Coogan, The Inside Story. But that was a TV movie. It's Ben Wheatley. Wheat, as in the crop, L E Y. High Rise, and he has also done two episodes of Doctor Who. Yep. Nice. He's an English gentleman. Nice. So to be a little quirky, a little different. Yeah. Well, the trailer's fun. As a just as so a field in England, right? He he did, and it's a civil war in England in the mid seventeenth century. It's about a group of deserters who leave, get trapped by an alchemist, do hallucinogenics, and they eat some bad mushrooms. Yeah, and craziness ensues. (laughs) (laughs) And at that time, they can't figure out it's the mushrooms that have done it to them. That they're seeing things, right? It's just the bad mushrooms they've had, but they all go on a trip. It's just really weird. Yeah. I mean, it's my kind of movie. It's okay. really strange. High Rise is strange, too. Yeah. I like High Rise. Uh, have you seen High Rise? You know, now that you've just said it, I've been one. I'm probably going to watch it this week. Yeah. Just because I've wanted to watch it for a long time, just haven't broken down and rented it. Yeah. I was trying to wait for it to come to like HBO or something like that, and it just right. hasn't. I don't so. know that it will. Yeah. So. Okay. High Rise, it almost works. It's so close to being a really great movie. So uh, Free, yeah, Free Fire. Fire is about a gun deal gone wrong. Yeah. Looks like the whole movie is the gun deal and then the shootout. So nice. there's all these different groups coming together. It looks funny. So I've been waiting to see this movie for a while. So All right. Sounds great. And Adam, how can our listeners connect with us on social media? Uh, we have a website, filmcoterie.com. We're on Facebook. If you just go to facebook.com backslash filmcoterie. And we have a Twitter handle. We're at filmcoterie on there. So we're really easy to reach. Awesome. Anything, Matt? Any last thoughts? If you're not a fan of Fast and Furious, don't go see it. (laughs) And in two weeks, I'll be at the Overlook Film Festival in Portland, and I will be tweeting from our account with what I'm about to see. Awesome. There's 20 movies there. They're all horror, so I'll be a happy little guy up there in the mountains watching scary movies. Nice. At the hotel where they film The Shining Exteriors. 
Wow, that's pretty exciting. So I'm looking forward to hearing. I'm going with my dad, so I'll try to get some of his I'm input looking, too. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a report. And that there's three be- parties. There's a party every night. The first one is the Mark of the Beast Satanic, uh, not disco, but something <laughs> along those lines. Oh my word! So it's going to be a time. Then there's the Dark Carnival the second night. I'll nice. be among you my say like Satanic burlesque. Yes, yes, yes. That. the Mark of the Beast party. <laughs> Just the visual of Adam <laughs> and his dad. I want to see him in like goth, at a goth, goth satanic burlesque party. I have to bring my eyeliner. I want to see him in eyeliner and white face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and a ruffled shirt. Oh, <laughs> of please, course. Please. Yes. yes, absolutely. Oh, in a man. old, old hotel. Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Film Coterie, and we'll see you guys next week.